Please turn with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. As we prepare to participate at the Lord's table, like us to think about Christ in the book of Proverbs. You read the verse in public, the public scripture reading that says that the Lord showed His disciples in the scriptures the things concerning Himself in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms concerning Himself. Well, Psalms represents... Um, the wisdom literature, which would include Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. The question I might ask this afternoon is, can we find the person and work of Christ in the book of Proverbs? Well, you might say, well, the Lord didn't say Proverbs. He said in the book of Psalms. But that's representative, just like the prophets are representative of, well, of all the prophets. Psalms would represent the poetical books. Do we find Jesus in Job? He is my Redeemer. Do we, do we find Jesus in Psalms? He is my Lord my shepherd, my savior. Do we find him in Ecclesiastes? He is the one shepherd, chapter 12. My shepherd, in verse 11. He is God commanding. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What about the Song of Solomon? He's called the apple tree, the chiefest of ten thousand, the lily of the valley, And He's called My Beloved. So we should expect to find Jesus in the book of Proverbs as well. And indeed, we do. And I'd like us to think about Jesus in the book of Proverbs. Jesus, the pearl of Proverbs. Christ is the author of wisdom. He's greater than Solomon who wrote many of these Proverbs. Who do you think taught Solomon these? That he's the personification of wisdom, wisdom personified. He's finally, certainly, the incarnation of wisdom. Christ walked in wisdom. Christ talked with wisdom. He's called the wisdom of God, and he's made unto us wisdom. So let us think upon the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Proverbs. We believe that there is Christology or the study of Christ in Proverbs. There is soteriology, the study of salvation. There is ecclesiology even. There are some texts that refer to the church. There's eschatology, the study of last things. There's other studies of the Scriptures in the book of Proverbs. 
but we should expect Christology. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees, search the Scriptures, and He was talking about the Older Testament, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they, Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, are they, the Scriptures that teach on Christ, that testify of Me. So, what do we find in Proverbs about Christ? Prophecy? Reference, inference, pictures, anticipation. There are many ways in which Christ can be found in the Scriptures. God does not have to give us commandments or specific verses telling us to do something. He can teach us by inference, by prophecy, and so on. Think about it for a moment, which texts in Proverbs might Jesus have referenced to His disciples after His resurrection when He said that He showed them in those Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Well, I want us to think, first of all, upon the what we might call the most obvious. And the first one is that Christ is wisdom personified. Chapter 8. If you read a proverb a day, for there are 31 of them, you would have read Proverbs chapter 14 today. Back in chapter 8, and we might even, with your finger there, remind one another of Proverbs 1, where it says, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. Well, it's not a non-entity that speaks. Wisdom there is obviously being personified. So the question is, 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 is wisdom being spoken of as someone speaking wisdom? Or is wisdom here being personified? She crieth in the chief place of concourse in the openings of the gates. She uttereth her words. And at the end it says, Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. There seems to be more than just a mention of someone bringing wisdom publicly and with admonition to people. Look at chapter 8 in Proverbs. We read, for instance, beginning with verse 23. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet He had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the earth, may I say, not before He made man and even angels. When He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He set a compass upon the face of the depth. Now there are many believers that would come to chapter 8 and say it's merely personifying of God's insight and teaching. 
It's a mere personification of God's insight and teaching. Perhaps. But I think that it's, with many other believers, a title of Christ calling sinners to Himself. Publicly. It says wisdom is at the gates. Verses 2 and 3. Universally, to, to man I call, verse 4. Lovingly, I love them that love me. Uniquely, verse 22, the Lord got me, literally, possessed me in the beginning. It speaks of a relationship with God, not just merely God possessing wisdom. Eternally, verse 23, speaks of an eternal relationship. He was from everlasting. And isn't that something referred to, uh, for instance, in Micah 5.2? From everlasting is the uh, prophecy of Christ there. And Jesus uh, was from the beginning, we're told. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was commissioned, verse 23. The Bible says He was set up from everlasting. The word set up means He was poured. might speak of His commission as being the Messiah. He was begotten. He was brought forth. The language, verses 24 and 25, of one who's begotten. His union, verse 30, I was by Him, by God, by the Father, as one brought up with Him. His communion, I was daily His delight, verse 30. His love for the Father, rejoicing always before Him. The Trinity, in a loving relationship. His love for man. Notice verse 31. My delights were with the sons of men. Why did He come? Why did He live and die for us? Because He loved us. He delights in human beings being His create, His creatures and His new creation. He is the mediator of life, verses 32 to 36, give indication that unless you hearken to Him, you'll perish. If you hearken to Him, you'll be blessed, verse 32. You'll be wise, verse 33. You'll be blessed again, verse 34, hearing Him, watching daily at His gates, waiting at the posts of His doors. In verse 35, doesn't this sound very similar to New Testament texts? For whosoever findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And the wrath of God falleth upon him. And what's the last verse? But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. What a horrible text that is. But... You say it's, it's merely spiritualizing of wisdom. I would agree to disagree. I believe that Jesus is spoken of as being the solution for sinners. The wisdom of God to reach sinners with His Gospel. There's too, there are too many suggestions here of one who is in relationship with God to merely be a spiritualizing of wisdom or a mere personification of God's insight and teaching. I believe it's a title of Christ. And He's called the wisdom of God in the New Testament. 1 
Corinthians 1. He's called our wisdom. He's made unto us wisdom. In other words, He's the one that undeceives us. So, when it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, what He's made unto us, what He's reckoned unto us, we're told He's in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, He's made unto us and the very first thing is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And all of those have to deal with sin in our lives. And I remember Dr. Alan Cairns uh, applying or interpreting what these expressions mean. If Christ is our wisdom, then He, then he delivers us from the deceitfulness of sin. Wisdom versus deceit. Lies. If He's our righteousness, He delivers us from the guilt of sin. We're justified. No longer are we guilty before God. We're justified before God. If He's our sanctification, he's our, he, he deals with the pollution of sin. We're filthy. We need to be purified. And Jesus purifies us by bearing and taking away our sins. If He's our redemption... He delivers us from the power of sin. He redeems us from the slave market and the power of sin. And so particularly, Proverbs 8 is saying Jesus undeceives us. And that's a major tactic of the devil, to deceive the nations, as we're told uh, in Revelation chapter 20. So the Lord Jesus delivers us from the snares of sin, Satan, and the world, and even of the flesh. And we're told that wisdom cried without, uttered her voice in the streets, in the concourse, in the gates. In other words, Christ did not come secretly. He came openly. He came preaching the Gospel. He went, he went into all the cities and villages, we're, we're told. He was public with his instruction. Remember, he said that to the to the high priest. I did nothing privately. I wasn't uh, secretive about my doctrine. Just ask my disciples. Ask the crowd what I taught. So these these are two suggestive and even prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ to merely be personifications of God's wisdom. So, Proverbs reveals the wisdom of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what are we to do with Christ being our prophet? We're to turn from our sins. Verse 23 of chapter 1. We're to hearken to Him. To find salvation. We'll dwell safely. The word safely means we'll dwell trustingly. That is, will dwell by faith. It's, a, it's another expression. The just shall live by faith. And the final word in Proverbs 1 is that we'll be quiet from fear of evil. We'll have peace. And that's exactly what He said when He, when he appeared to the disciples. Peace be unto you. It's interesting. <clears throat> a synonym for the word uh, quiet is the word, it, is the word ease. And I can't help but think of what does an officer say to a soldier when he salutes him? At ease. And you know, the Lord Jesus comes to us when He saves our souls and He says, Be at ease.
peace be unto you. Are you at ease? Are you now undeceived? Have you been saved from the deceitfulness, the guilt, and the pollution and power of sin? You can be at ease. I don't mean that you can be slothful and presumptuous, but you can uh, be free of guilt and free of pollution and free of the power of sin and free of the deceitfulness. We can know who we are and we can know that we're saved by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one of the, uh, one of the clear passages about our Savior. And who cannot remember chapter 18 and verse 24? Christ is not only our wisdom, but what is a verse you probably would immediately think about if someone asked you about Christ in Proverbs? Chapter 18. <clears throat> a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. How many have read that verse and have never thought about the Lord Jesus Christ? Hardly. Now, the verse seems to say at the beginning that if you want to have friends, you've got to make friends. You've got to be friendly to make friends. Now, that's a truth in the Bible, right? If you love, love begets love. And... uh, one of the one of the serious uh, crises that's happening today is that not just young people, but many people are not relational. They're spending so much time in secret, in isolation upon electronic devices. They're not dealing with people. They're not making friends. They're not um, coping with. Uh, conversation with making friends and they only if they're pushed into a corner uh, are relational whether it be at work with their boss or or it's at school with their teacher or barely even in their homes with their parents and you're, we're finding and it's not it's not just random that often families are not even eating together anymore one is eating in their bedroom or one is eating in the living room or one is eating in the kitchen and they're not having regular times of, of family gatherings. All these things are, are detrimental to uh, personal... The Lord made us relational. He made us social creatures. He didn't make us monks and nuns. So, I, I went to that extent to say that is true if that first text teaches that. But... There's a second meaning to the first text that the word show himself friendly can actually be translated uh, can come to ruin. So, there are a few proverbs that are a little perplexing, but it does make sense. For instance, a man that hath friends will come to ruin. So what... could be teaching is multiple casual friends without a close without a close friend can bring you to ruin. In other words, for instance, woe unto you if all men speak well of you. If you're just about to make people like you and 
and just be a friendly person without having close friends. And Proverbs indicates that we should have close friends. The Bible says that uh, if you repeat a matter, you separate a close friend. And the Lord Jesus had close friends, for instance. He called 12 disciples. And what I'm saying is we ought to have, just like this morning, your company is very important about your testimony and, and the effect that you might have or they might have upon you. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Not just one, but you should have several close friends that love the Lord, that are wise, that are like iron sharpening iron, that are the multitude of counselors, not just the multitude of loosely uh, developed friends. So you can see how both are true. One says if, you're friend, you, in order, if you want friends, you've got to be friendly. The other says if you have abundance of just loosely knit friends, you can come to ruin because you're trying to please everybody and, and those friends may not be very good friends and they might lead you to error. So you're asking me, what is your conclusion here? I think, before I tell you what I, I believe it is, both of those possibilities, and there could be more, it's not just the either-or syndrome, uh, there's, it's possible that, that there might be a third or a fourth. And uh, the, first, the first interpretation, if it says, in order to make friends you've got to be friendly, the second part makes sense too. Even if you have close friends, there is a friend that sticketh closer than even your closest friend. It singles out, I believe, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the friend of friends. And the other interpretation, if you have many just friends of the world and you can't depend on and they can't depend on you as it were, um, obviously the, the second part there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and that's the friend you want. And it's, it certainly, on the surface, can apply to a, a good brother or sister in the Lord, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we should be those friends that are not fair-weather friends. And the Bible speaks of that. A friend loveth at all times. But many, many things that we find that re reveal something about Christ, first of all, reveal something about Christians. And Christ is the supreme example of what even is applied to Christians. In other words, the Lord Jesus says that we ought to be friends of one another, but He says, I call you friends. My friends, John chapter 15. But I think, I think that it means a man that have many friends will come to ruin. But I could be wrong. But I do believe that ultimately this text is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the best friend that anyone could ever have. And that's, you know, the, the idea of God being our friend is not, is not uh, unique here. Isaiah 41.8, Abraham is called God's friend. Abraham, my friend. The exact same word translated friend in, in uh, Proverbs 18. Remember what they sarcastically called Jesus and He wasn't ashamed of it? They said that He was a friend of publicans and sinners. 
And John 15 says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. No greater love than a man can have than he lay down his life for his friends. John 15.13 And so, it's biblical. He's also called my friend in the Song of Solomon. The same word. Loved one is the idea. So Jesus is the friend of, of sinners. Jesus is the best friend of the saints. And this is not to demean our Savior. He's not ashamed to be our friend. But we have to be careful. He's not a buddy. He's a friend. He's a loved one, literally, is the, the idea in both the Old and the New Testaments. The word translated friend comes from the root that means to love. He's a loved one. He's not one that's going to depart from you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to be like Demas who forsook Paul having loved the present world. You may have had friends, even good friends, forsake you and disappoint you. We're going to disappoint one another. We're going to, we're going to sin against one another. But if there's one friend, one loved one, the Lord Jesus Christ that will never leave us nor forsake us, will never... We'll never be hurt by our Savior. What a Savior. Yes, the Bible teaches on the subject of friendship in Proverbs, and perhaps I'll touch upon this later. But make sure, as you are seeking the right kind of friendships, that you secure first and foremost the Lord Jesus Christ as your chief friend. He is our wisdom. He is our loved one. He is our friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And brothers and sisters are to, be, are to be close, aren't they? The Bible speaks of them being born for a hard place in the book of Proverbs. My brother had to, had to uh, extract me from several situations that I, um, that I got myself into growing up. Uh, I remember I was picking a fight with the one that I knew was going to beat me, but I was picking a fight because I was in my backyard thinking that my brother would show up. But he wasn't showing up and I was about to get pummeled. And just before he took a hockey stick over my head, and I deserved it if he did hit me, guess who pulls in the driveway? Ted, you, you should have been here earlier, but just in time. And, and my friend lowered his hockey stick and uh, I lived to tell about it. But my brother extracted me from several situations and how grateful I am that he was one that was born for a hard place. But as close as you and I may be to a brother or sister, even in the Lord, and especially in the Lord, I hope that the closest person that, you're, uh, that you are friends with is the Lord Jesus Christ. That you lean on His bosom like John. That you listen to His words, His counsel. And expect the Lord to extradite you, or not extradite, extricate you from your uh, spider web that's, that's sticking all around you. Don't you love to extricate a fly 
or a living bee when you see the spider crawling toward it. Isn't it nice to just... I can remember when Tanya and the children extricated a hummingbird. A hummingbird was stuck in a, in a spider web, right? And it couldn't fly. And they took the, honey, honey, the hum, hummingbird and a little bit at a time they just kept taking the spider web off and it flew and lived, and lived happily ever after. I don't know if it came back. It wasn't like the great white shark that I actually saw recently. Maybe you've seen this too. This man extricated, I'm using that word a lot, but you know, in order to learn a new vocabulary word, you're supposed to use it several times. But a man extricated a great white shark from a fishing net and the shark has been following him around ever since. And they actually have where the shark gets out of the water like this and the man scratches its fin or something. You'll have to, you'll have to Google it. I'm not making this up unless somebody's painted the picture by, and making it look real. But I think it's real. Well, I've gotten off the, the beaten path a little bit, but come back again to Proverbs. Jesus is our wisdom. How He has extricated us from the deceitfulness of the devil and of sin. We used to call good evil and evil good, and Jesus showed us what really is good and what really is evil and the real way to salvation and how He has stuck with us, hasn't He, from the very beginning? He will never leave us. How often have we tried to run away? But He's like the shepherd, isn't He? He is the shepherd that goes and finds the sheep again. But there's another passage that Perhaps you've thought of the Savior often as you've read on the 30th day of the month or the, the uh, 28th day of, of February when you read several chapters that day. In chapter 30, the words of Agur, he was the collector literally of Proverbs. He says, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Who is he? What is his character? What is his, what's he like? What are his attributes? Notice the last or, or the, the next question. What is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Who has not thought of our Lord Jesus Christ if you've read verse 4 every single month? Have you not thought of Jesus once? It's, there are those again, just like chapter 8. In chapter 8, they'll think it's mere personification of God's wisdom or knowledge. And there are those that come to chapter 30 in verse 4. And I, I, I don't want to demean them. They may be right. But they're simply saying that Agur is sarcastically saying, I, I dare any of you to ascend up to heaven and then come down and gather the wind in your fists or, or have the greatest wisdom in the world. Man cannot achieve the wisdom of God, the power of God. And it speaks of God's power regarding uh, the land and the sea. You know, regarding storms, binding the waters in a garment, and, uh, and also His power 
in the land all through the earth. The wind and the waters, speaking perhaps of, of furious storms and uh, establishing the ends of the earth, speaking of how the Lord uh, has control of even the, the in, uninhabitable parts of the world. Does a tree make a sound if it falls and nobody hears it? Of course it does. God hears it. He is everywhere. So it's saying, which one of, is it just simply sarcastically saying, who among you is omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent or eternal? That may be. God sarcastically spoke to Job in this way, didn't he? Go ahead, Job. Did you make the horse to do what it does? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did Are you omnipotent? Are you omniscient? Yes, God did speak to His servant like that. Is it simply that? Or is it a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ? There are those that say that, first of all, He's talking about Israel. Israel is often called God's son. What did He say to Pharaoh? Let my people go, but let my son go to serve me in the wilderness. And, and uh, Israel is called his son. But I drew my son out of Egypt. First of all, Israel, but that is a reference that the Gospel writer said is to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is his son's name? Is it merely referring to Israel? Or is it showing Christ already, even if in a mysterious uh, way here in Proverbs chapter 30. God's Son is an incomprehensible. If thou canst tell, who could tell that Jesus was the Son of God unless He revealed it to us? Even the Pharisees in studying Psalm 110 had no clue that David's Son was also David's Lord. And so I believe that this is saying that Christ is God's gift to man. He's God's Son in a unique relationship to Him. That He is, verses 5-6, to like the Word. Jesus is the living Word that's trustworthy. Every Word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. The Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word, like the written Word, is trustworthy, sufficient, he is the one that reveals the Father to us. John 1.18 And did not the Lord even seem to point to this text when He said, uh, you remember in John chapter 3? You don't need to turn there, but let me read that text. John chapter 3, verse 13. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Is there not a reference to Proverbs 30, verse 4 in that text? But you say in Proverbs 30 it says, who hath ascended and descended, not descended and ascended. Jesus descended before He ascended. I understand. We're looking at the language of Jesus here. And obviously, the writer of Proverbs had no clue about the incarnation of the Son of God. At least from what we can tell, the Old Testament saints, 
if they spoke about such things, were wanting to know what they meant in their prophecies. It wasn't until the Lord revealed that to us while He was to the disciples as He was walking God, man, on the earth and afterwards revealed it to us in the Newer Testament. But it's saying Jesus has the authority to speak on all subjects. Doesn't He? Jesus descended and ascended. Jesus can gather the wind in His fists and the waters is in a garment. Jesus controls all the, all the, the in, uninhabitable places of the earth. He went into the wilderness. And the Bible says that He was with the wild beasts. And He was their create, Creator. He was their uh, Master. They did not attack Him. But it simply says He had no help of man way out in the wilderness. He is indeed God's Son. He is God's wisdom to man. God's message. God's sermon. He's the one that, as He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, how do you know about these things? And did he not know until later that He was talking to the Son of God? And Jesus said, you who are a teacher should know these things. But I am the Messiah. You must be born again. Indeed, Jesus descended. If He descended, He must have had pre-existence. He descended. John 3.16 God sent His only begotten Son. And then, after He paid for our sins, He rose from the dead and ascended Acts chapter 1. So may I say that this Agor unconsciously prophesies of Christ, but he's not privy to the deity of the Messiah, but amazingly indicates that the Creator has a Son. And that was something that took mighty revelation to convince people. Jesus is the wisdom of God, the friend of sinners, and the Son of God. I believe that these are are taught of Christ in the book of Proverbs. And may I just conclude with the fact that Jesus was the incarnation of wisdom. So every, every pearl of wisdom in the book of Proverbs was practiced by the Lord Jesus Christ. Especially the fact that He's a forgiver of sinners. We just touched upon... Uh, being a forgiving people. He's, he had the love that covered all multitude of sins, didn't He? How often He passed by the sins that He could have easily rebuked. He covers a transgression by His blood. It's His glory to pass over a transgression. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So a major theme in Proverbs is is love that covers a multitude of sins quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 4.8. Christ is the forgiver of sinners. But will you just let me say a few more things? How Christ is wisdom incarnate. He's the obedient Son of the first nine chapters. Over and over again. Son, listen to me. Son, take heed to my advice. Son, listen to your mother. And yes... We can say it's immediately speaking to Solomon 
from David or Solomon's son from Solomon. But Jesus is the obedient son of the Father. He subjected Himself to His father and mother. So we think about Christ preeminently when we think of an obedient son. He's the one that that had the character of the fear of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 11. And throughout Proverbs, we talk, it talks about the fear of the Lord. He reverenced God. Proverbs has the dominant theme of righteousness versus wickedness. And Christ was righteous and earned our righteousness. Proverbs talks about the sin offering and the peace offering. It refers to the Lord Jesus. Those are types of Christ. They have to be revelations of Christ in Proverbs. Anytime you mention an offering, it's a type of Christ. There are many. He's the Savior who can say, I have made, I have a clean heart, chapter 21. I'm sorry, He's the Savior that turns the heart as He turns the rivers of water. 21.1. He's the one with a good name. The Bible says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. He has the name above every name. He speaks like the word fitly spoken. Proverbs 25.11 Never a man spake like this man. He's the faithful shepherd. 27.23 Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. He's the faithful man that abounds with blessings. He's the prayerful man of Proverbs. God hears the prayer of the upright and the prayer of the righteous. He's the winner of souls. Did anyone win souls as our Lord Jesus? Nicodemus, Jairus, Mary Magdalene, Matthew, Joseph of Arimathea, the woman of Samaria, the centurions. And Jesus, may I say, last but not least, like Proverbs, He was a master of pictures, a master of of illustrations, of metaphors. In Proverbs, you find the ant, the horse. You find the ox. You find clouds and lions, bears, balances, dogs, pigs, jewels. And you read the Gospels, brother and sister. Do we not find lilies and foxes, fish, sheep, pigs, fishing, pearls, business, weather, agriculture, snakes and doves? There's none that spake like Jesus. A master of language. A master of pictures and illustrations. We could go on and on. These are truly revelations of Jesus Christ. But particularly, I again remind us, He's the wisdom that undeceives us. He is the friend that is faithful to us. He is God's Son that is worthy of worship. He's the one who forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Oh, what a Savior is Jesus our Lord. Amen.